0: All right, there we go. So, good morning. So, Ephesians, we started Ephesians uh, kind of two weeks ago. All of us here, I think it was just Dan and his family and us, and we just went over the background uh, in chapter. here we went over the background of Ephesians. So, now we've done Ephesus, what it looked like in the first century, big trade city, remember? 150,000 people living there lots of sinfulness, very dirty place, lots of sailors moving in and out. Mark knows what that's like. Sailors go into a city. We know what they do. They usually don't bring the gospel. They bring other things. Um, But big, huge human trafficking trade there, right? So they've got worshiping strange gods, um, a a lot of things going on with kids that we would not agree with here. And uh, just a a pretty ratty place, but a huge effective church ministry going on there that Paul has been to twice and is now writing a letter to while he's in prison uh, in Rome. And this is one of his uh, prison epistles. Um, and we went over the first verse last week, and uh, in order to speed things up a little bit, today. So I know it seems like I'm going slow. I hope you understand. That the reason that I'm going slow, well, it's not going slow. The reason that I'm digging one verse at a time is that it's really important to build that foundation for why Paul believes he is who he says he is. Why Christ has sent him as an emissary. Why uh, we believe that this word is true. Paul gets a lot of that theological information out just getting this letter, kind of his introduction. And it's really important to dig in on that, and then we can kind of move forward from there. <laughs> and uh, it's it's amazing how much is is packed in this thing. So last week, what we went over was Paul's an apostle, right? He's an apostle of Christ. So we knew we know we looked at the, the Greek, and we and we looked at how just because of the way the words are formed, we know that he comes from he comes of Christ. It's not just a Hey, I'm an apostle who's bringing you the message of Christ, but he is actually an emissary of Christ, just like he was an ambassador of the king. Like we send ambassadors from the president of the United States when an ambassador is in a foreign country and they speak, they speak on behalf of the president. So it is is that way. And now he's given this greeting to believers that he calls saints. And we talked about saints are saints because they are believers in Christ, not because a church sanctions them as a saint or at some point after a thousand years decides they did good things so they believers saints and those saints are living in Ephesus and they are saints who are in Christ, right? So this idea of being in Christ. Christ is our savior. We get all of our hope from him and we are living in him to the best of our ability. And this is how Paul is gonna continue greeting so if we look at Ephesus excuse me if we look at Ephesians chapter one and we go to verse two Paul says this grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ so if I was just reading a letter and one of you guys had written it from me and you were just say, hey great peace to you from God it would seem pretty simple that you were just writing and you were wishing me well but There is a lot of information in this little thing that is really important because, like I said, this builds the foundation for the rest of the letter that Paul writes to Ephraim. He chose his words really carefully when he did this. So notice, at the beginning, he's going to say, Grace to you and peace. Sounds weird grammatically. Like, why would I say, Hello to you and blessings, or good morning, and I hope you are well. I mean, it's just, it just seems very choppy, like, hey, I hope you're doing all right, or grace and peace, or whatever that might be. He chops it up into two pieces. Well, why would he do that? It's really important that he doesn't say grace and peace. He makes a specific distinction. So this word that we get, grace, this Greek word charis, it would have been culturally appropriate for Romans. Their greeting, and remember, this is part of Roman culture. It's a a thousand, eleven hundred year old city, but the Romans run it, their greeting would have been grace. So it's a proper cultural greeting to say grace. They're in Ephesus. So the interesting part about this, this typical greeting, it would have become what we what we would have heard in, in, in Latin as gratia plena. So what it really means is to be full of grace. Um, This idea of peace that he separates from it would have also been culturally and religiously correct. Because if you think about it, Paul is not only a Roman citizen. What else is he? He's a Jew. He was born and raised a Jew. He even calls himself, when we looked at it in Galatians, he calls himself a Pharisee. So he knows that he is Jewish and he doesn't set that aside. So how do the Jews greet each other? Shalom. The word shalom literally means peace. So he's saying grace, which is culturally correct, and then peace, which is also culturally correct. So it would have been religiously correct as well. And those who were Jews who were there previously and converted would have understood this, this uh, Irene, the Greek, it denotes a greeting of peace like shalom. And, and, you know, Jewish people would have used it. They would have known what it meant. They've been using this literally for thousands of years because the Hebrew uh, would have been there. So this greeting, and and it's a parting also for the Jews, right? It brings along a wishing of being whole for Jewish people. It's whole, wholeness, restoration, making something complete. It's a true greeting of having God's peace in your life, this shalom, or in this Greek word, erene. Um, But we also know there's only one thing that can make people whole, and that's God. So when Jews said shalom, they were really wishing God upon them. So it tells us a lot about Paul. The way that he separated these two words, and this is what we're going to kind of learn to create this uh, foundation for what we've got. Right. So first, he's culturally correct. It's a careful dance about being culturally correct, and I kind of want to say something about that because um, if you've ever done, if any of you have ever done any mission work um, where you've gone to another culture and you've done work before, this is what Paul's doing. He's going somewhere that's not his home, and he's bringing the gospel to those people. So. Do you have to be culturally correct when you bring the gospel to people? Well, I'd say, kinda, (laughs) like kinda, right? So I wanna tell you a quick story about something that we did a few years ago that I think kind of matches this, and here's why. So if you haven't talked to Carol about where she's from, Carol grew up in Arizona on the Indian Reservation, on the Navajo Reservation, out by the Four Corners. So she's Navajo, born and raised out there eventually kind of adopted into a white family in Utah, but her family lives where they have lived for God knows how long. I mean, a dirt floor, Hogan, you know, six-sided home, they swept the floor out in the middle of the place in, uh, and we, Have family still out there, so we go back, we spend time with them. And every time we've gone back and spent time with either her grandma, her mom, her sister, her brothers, um, we have felt this calling to go spend time deliberately in the gospel. So, as many times we've gone, we've I wouldn't call it mission work, but we've been you know very open about our faith and shared, shared the gospel with people. But when we lived out west, it was very regular. Now that we live here, it was like we needed to make some deliberate moves to go out there. So we partnered with what then was called Western Indian Ministries, which is called the Cross Nations now. And um, we went out to do just kind of typical mission work. And so we kind of made it both. It's a vacation because we get to visit family. We have family out there, but we also get to deliberately bring the gospel to other people on the reservation that we otherwise may not have met had we not partnered with somebody who had kind of the system in place to go out and reach people that were in need because they have things there like a church so people will go to church and ask for things right i mean people go and say my kids need shoes or they have, also have a school there a school that has a lot of kids who are needy and it's a christian school and they will go and there are teachers who see things like hey you know little johnny hasn't had new shoes in three years and his toes are blowing out of them," and she so can kind of meet some of those needs so we went out there, and one of the nights that we were there, we were having a conversation about um, bringing the gospel to people who are resistant to it. And this kind of sums this up. The people on the Indian Reservation are culturally different, as you can imagine. Okay? And there's, there's some sensitivity. If you look like me and you go out on the Indian Reservation, you're going to bring the gospel to people. There's some cultural sensitivity. Because there's a history of churches going out there and taking advantage of people. There's also a history of white people going out there and setting up churches and then Navajo people taking over the churches and then taking advantage of people. So there's become this resistance to the church. But culturally, when you go out there, there are some things that you should understand when you go. So... Some of those cultural things are like, and you know, my wife's looking at me in the eye right now, but if you go talk to people out there and you look at them and talk, they often won't look you in the face. It's disrespectful to like pour your eyes into somebody. Now, here in this culture, like if you're talking to somebody and you know, you're talking about mortgage stuff sitting across the table, clearly looking at everything else in the room, you'd be like, this is not.
1: You know, if I was teaching a student and I was teaching you a skill looking at me, words about ability to pay attention. Then that call different. They might may make eye contact, but it's
0: not a deliberate stare down. If you go to some old lady's house and she decides that you're hungry and need a cup of coffee, you're getting fed. It would be totally inappropriate to sit on a tortilla or fry bread and a cup of coffee. It would be appropriate for you to sit down them and try what they have to offer those are part of their thing is as people traveled because they would walk and move sheep and walk around that if somebody showed up at your door especially if they were related in some of the million ways that people can be related down there by clan you would feed them it's what you do it's expected of the person that owns that property to feed you so it's expected of you to show respect in return So there's some cultural things that make sense. Now, why is that important? Because if you go and disrespect all that, how can you expect somebody to say, yeah, I like this idea of Jesus that you bring. When you basically walked across their threshold and said, hey, I could care less about all of the stuff that you have going on in your life that's important to you. I just want to bring you Jesus. And they're going to be like, well, this Jesus doesn't respect me. So why would I listen to you? So I say that basically to say it's important for us and it's important in this case that Paul is like covering the bases when he gets there. Grace to you and peace. He's bringing them, I understand who you are, and it's culturally important. Now, I wanna say this is the caveat. We had a discussion one night with a young man who's a Navajo guy who's a brilliant kid. This guy is like, he writes music, he runs uh, Christ for Native Youth. He's like bringing the gospel kids that are the kids out there are it's tough it's tough it, it's bad there's poverty uh child abuse um teenage pregnancy drug abuse drug trafficking, human trafficking i mean you, it's it, it's it's tough out there it's really tough and this guy is him and his now wife are working very hard to break some of that but One of the things he said to me one night, because we had sent some missionaries out to bring, I think it was like some food and clothes to somebody's house. And this woman did not receive them well and just said, Hey, you can leave this stuff. And they said, can, can we pray with you? And she said, no, you can just leave it. And then you can be on your way. She just wanted the stuff. She didn't want to hear the gospel. And they were a little set back because they're like, we don't feel like we were able to do what we were sent here to do. And I said, did you tell them that you came there as missionaries on behalf of Jesus Christ? And the fellow said, yeah, I did. And I was like, then you've done enough. I was like, here's the thing we need to understand when we go somewhere to people, that there is power in the name of Jesus Christ. And it is not up to us to convince people to believe. It is up to us to plant the seed, right? As Matthew in the, in the parable of the sower, somebody plants the seed. So when you walk in the house and what i had told them was if you walk across the threshold and say jesus christ and walk out that seed has been planted it is the power of the holy spirit to change people's hearts it's not our job to go there every day and till it and water it and put fertilizer on it because typically what happens when people put fertilizer on stuff it ends up just being fertilizer you following me Now, cultivating, being kind to people, respecting their culture is part of that farming process. But when we plant that seed, it's literally the power of the Holy Spirit that does it. So we need to understand Paul brings this greeting. It's the power of Christ. He expects to do the work,
1: not the power of, of his words. So that's the story. So he's culturally sensitive. That's the f- f- from the Brings it from from God as an emissary, bring the one who can bring grace and peace, not himself. This is the question Is grace just a greeting, a
0: blessing favor, or is there something more to it, right? And then is peace just a greeting of quiet and rest? That's what we think of as peace. Like, hey, it's peaceful in here. Or does Paul deliver some sort of deeper message with it? And this is what I, I, I kind of thought was, well, there's gotta be someplace else in the Bible that tells us a little bit about grace and a little bit about peace that we get an idea of what is Paul saying to you when I bring grace and peace. So what does the word of God say about grace? Well, it says things like this. Jesus, we're told that Jesus said this by Paul in Corinthians 12, grace is sufficient for you. So this grace that I bring you, that's all you need is you need nothing else. You need no other provision. You need no other stuff. You need no other words. You need no other money. You need no other thoughtfulness. You need no other joy or happiness. You need my grace. That's what you need. I'm bringing you grace. It's sufficient, right? By grace you have been faith, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2. So it's grace that saves us. Jesus Christ gives us that grace. That's how we're saved. That's why nothing else matters. Only Christ matters because he is that grace. In Hebrews, we're told there is a throne of grace, which makes it divine, which means we can't give it. It's only from God, I want to read this to you out of John 1, so if you want to, you can turn with me, if not, you can just listen, but this is an important part of this, as uh, John 1, (coughs) excuse me, in 14 through 18, Ezra really likes this passage, you can tell, because he was like, send it, it says in John 1, It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory,
1: glory as the only son from the father, full of John. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said before. For from his fullness we have all
0: received, here's that word, grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So John the Baptist making it clear here that it's only Jesus who brings grace. That grace is from God the Father through the Son and it is the power that saves us tangible thing that you can touch it's actually the power that christ brings to save our
1: soul and get us into our god is of who god is and it can only be given blessing alone to give and it's gift that gives us hope that grace is christ so peace peace is the next verse there's got to be evidence in the word of god about peace somewhere and this is of peace himself give you peace at all times in
0: every way so that peace that we have in our lives it's not about the quiet in the afternoon on the couch after church you've had carb and sugar overload and you pass out this peace is only peace that can come from god and it's that is truly given by him and him alone right it's his
1: peace gives you peace. does that make sense right and going back to John, Jesus says this, peace, I give you.
0: My peace, I give you. Not the peace that makes you feel good, right? My peace, I give you. Not as the world gives
1: you. Let your hearts not be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Colossians 3 says this peace of christ rule
0: your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful see peace is a characteristic of god people this huge prosperity movement that's moving around the country right now. This whole like smiling Joel Osteen and whoever that weirdo is, uh, Stephen Furtick, this idea that you can be prosperous and you're going to get money and you're going to feel better and you're going to get healed and everything's going to go well and we're going to raise our hands and feel good. Well, when you leave the building and all the bills stack up and the car breaks down and your wife leaves you and somebody in your life that's important dies and you turn back to drugs and alcohol and the world falls apart heart that prosperity gospel does nothing for you it does nothing that's not peace in your heart that's not even the peace that we're looking for we're looking for the peace right as it says in philippians 6 the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in christ what is that peace that surpasses all understanding i don't get how i'm such a miserable wretch but god would come here while i'm still a sinner and save me my peace is this when I die, I'm going to heaven. When I live this gospel out in front of my children and they understand who he is, whatever happens to them, whether it's today, tomorrow, or 50 or 90 years from now, that I get to see them again in eternity in heaven. That's what brings me peace. That's what brings me joy. I remember sitting in a Bible study one night and this, this lady said, I just don't feel happy. Like I read my Bible, she's married, they're faithful, they have kids, beautiful little family. She's like, I don't get it, I'm just not happy. The guy who was running it was trying to give her these verses that cover happiness and how she should find some sort of happiness in her life. And I'm like, no, you're missing the point. It's not about being happy. Sometimes life sucks. Sorry. I mean, you guys have all been in that spot where you're downrange and somebody dies and it's like tomorrow you need to go back out. That's not happy. I don't feel that happiness. There's those times as young couples where like, I know we had it where I was like, ah, should we pay the mortgage this month or the car payment? Which one? I didn't feel a lot. I didn't feel a lot of happiness. If you were like us as a young couple, there were weeks, sometimes months where there was not a lot of happiness just in the home right i mean those things happen so where does that peace come from that peace has to be in what surpasses all understanding the hope of christ right and that's why that first from philippians is so important so as part of this greeting that paul gives us it's a lesson in theology this is what he's given us big theology lesson it's also a, le- a lesson in what's called the hypostatic union christ is fully god fully man hypostatic union right a lesson in two people of the trinity This grace and peace from God, our father, who they would have known as the father of the Jews, but is also from Jesus Christ, who in this passage, he says here from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a really important thing. So he calls him Lord. Paul uses this word kurios here. This word kurios, I'm going to give you a little some stats. For those of you who like weird, I like stats. Um, So that word kurios. Greek word, which means Lord, it's used 748 times in the New Testament, just in case you're curious. So now next time somebody says Lord, you can be, oh, 748 times in the New Testament. And they're going to be like, what are you talking about? That's really weird that you said that. And you're gonna be like, go look it up. There you go. And then you planted the seed and then they become saved and you've done your work. So that's the way it's supposed to work. So 748 times in the New Testament, four times it's used just kind of miscellaneously, 12 times it's used to denote the word Sir. 11 times for the word master, 54 times it's lowercase Lord, like the Lord of my land, the Lord of my home. Remember they use the word Lord differently. So like Carol calls me the Lord of our house. That not, only V laughed. That was actually a good joke. I thought it was good. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, but this is it. It's used 667 times for capital L Lord as in God. In this case, it means God. So when Paul says, our Lord, Jesus Christ, he's saying, God, our father, God, and Jesus, our God, 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 and Jesus, God, they're both God. That's what he's saying. They're not separate, but they're and, so they're two, and they're one. They're both God, but they're both separate. You get me? Hypostatic union, Jesus, fully God, fully man. They knew he was man because he's going to talk about his manhood here coming up, but God and man. So really important. This is an important thing because there are a bunch of religions around us that deny this. They deny the deity of Christ. This was something that happened in Arrhenius. Um, like first century, they were arguing this. By the time we get to um, the Council of Nicaea, it was the reason they had the councils. The deity of Christ was the basis for it. And then we get the apostolic creed out of that. So who is Jesus? He's God. Um A bunch of religions that set in cults that set Jesus aside as either the angel Gabriel or a created being by God. Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, the Seventh day Adventists, I think, have some weird view on it. Muslims think that Jesus is a prophet, not God. Look, it's not one of these things where it's one of the minors and we can make our way around. No, if you say you're a Christian, Christ you're not a Christian. I didn't say it. The Bible says it. That's it. I, and Paul was, i uh, give him more credit. He was way better than me at this. And that's what he's saying. So he's making the case that this greeting comes to them from God the Father and God the Son. It gives this message power, right? Because he's saying, this is where I'm bringing the message from. It also means Paul, this is the recap, he's an apostle who's of Christ by the will of the of grace and peace that comes directly through god the son jesus christ and his father the cool thing about this is and i'll wrap this up here is god says or paul says nothing about himself I write a letter to somebody, typically to you know and i wrote it to dear dan greetings from me and my family we are well I am doing this for a living. This is who I am.
1: Paul doesn't write his letter like that. There's nothing about Paul in this. He speaks nothing about himself. As a matter of fact, he actually gives the credit to his apostleship to God. not to his. He doesn't say, I am an apostle.
0: You may see that on churches as we are at the buckle of the Bible belt. People will put, you know, Apostolic church and the two apostles are a guy and his wife. You just don't go to those churches, drive by. They're not apostles, they don't read the text well enough. Send them to me, I'll give them a the lesson. Um but this thing he speaks is not his own validity, he speaks nothing about his own revelation. He brings the message that the bring. but this is the point, I think, of this entire verse. It gives us perspective about our walk with Christ. Okay? And our walk with Christ, these are my questions for you. You don't have to answer out loud. I don't expect you to, but these are my questions. Unless you want to, Chad. I mean, you can answer a lot if you want. I know you gave me that look. Like... <clears throat> it says, in our walk with Christ, we recognize the position we're in, in our relation to God. So as we walk, do we recognize who we are in relationship to our creator? This is a tough thing, I think, to do every day. It's easy to think much of self It's really easy to think these are the tasks i have to do and i know we don't say it like look how important i am but we have a lot of stuff going on and we tend to master those skills and we forget there's somebody that's in charge and watching at all times do we recognize where our provision comes from everything that we have or we do when the ac is on when you get in your house out of your car and it's been 94 degrees all day. Do we recognize that it is only through the power of his amazing creation that people have been able to get this technology moving so that we can sit inside of a beautiful home with air conditioning running and not be outside covered in flies in 100 degree weather, that we can have donuts, that our kids can have shoes and clothes, that we can send them to good schools, that we have money to purchase food, like all of these things that we just kind of take for granted, like, you know what we should do this afternoon because we're too lazy to cook? We should order pizza, and we forget, there's only one reason you're getting pizza. It's because God allows it. I know most of you guys are well-traveled. You've been there. Those people don't have anything. And God allows that too, for whatever reason, for them. Right? We forget sometimes that it's only his provision that we have these things. And we need to put ourselves in a position where we recognize them and we're thankful. We're humble. Do we realize that any grace or peace that we have is undeserving? You didn't deserve any of it. You didn't earn any of it. You did nothing. I don't know. You loved your kids, loved your wife, made dinner every week. You cleaned the house. You did nothing to deserve the air conditioning, the new shoes, the cool job. You did nothing. None of it. None of it's good. And it was unwarranted that he gave you wasn't because of something you did it's because of something he did it's because he's the one who bore his father's wrath and he's the one who was on the cross not you whatever you do is a response that's it and this is the part where it
1: comes into your home and i think this is really important do we read the bible given to us by a holy god or is it just a book
0: do we open it like i'm going to open this and god's going to talk to me God's gonna give me truths for my life. God is gonna to reveal to me something tonight or this morning as I read that is gonna do something to impact my daily walk. My relationship with my husband, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kids, my relationship with my coworkers. or the way that I pray, the way that I tithe, the way that I give money to charitable organizations, the way that I respond to people in times of stress. Do we read the book like it is actually powerful and that it gives us truths from god do we read it like it was given to us by a holy god delivered by the pens of men who never recognized themselves as anything but messengers all these people just gave it to us and they never said look at me is that the way we are when we deliver the gospel to other peoples do we believe like that grace that has been imparted to us was undeserved do we believe that it's undeserved do we live like that do we believe that the grace that we received came across? And this is because it's not free. It's free to us, but it's not free. And we, it's so easy to forget that when we talk about this whole wrath idea, uh, I think I talked to you guys about this. I did this big study on propitiation a few months ago, and I, it just blew my mind the more I read and read and read the like overwhelming darkness of the reality that set in on me as I was writing that people use the word wrath like, oh yeah, God just killed his son. And by the way, guess who killed Jesus? Not the Romans. God did it. They can't kill God. They have no power over him, none. So who killed him? God killed his son, but he didn't just kill him. He poured his wrath out on him. And this is what's important about that moment. That's hatred. Mankind is an enmity with God. God hates it. People, this lovely little term that modern Christians have come up with, hate the sin, love the sinner. It is way out of line. Way out of line. If you're a sinner, unrepentant, living away from God, you're an enemy of him. This is why we want to be in the body of Christ, so we're friends of his. This idea of him pouring out his wrath meant every sin that ever happened in the history of humankind, God piled all that into his hate and dumped it out onto his son. He didn't just have nails put in him. He endured an extreme physical and spiritual burden of his father hating him into the grave. That's, I mean, it blew my mind. It's overwhelming. It's hard to even get your head on it. Do we recognize that when we realize that the grace that we received is in light of him paying that for us? He did that for us so that we could be back with him. Do we believe that peace isn't a temporal, emotional sensation that we're somehow safe or restful? But it's an eternal, secure state of salvation that comes only through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ and as part of the plan of a loving God. This is my prayer for us today. Having known that just in this introduction by Paul that we can get a ton of theology out of essentially like four words, a ton of theology out of four words that sets the foundation for the rest of the letter to Ephesus that we're gonna jump into multiple verses at a time next week. Um, And my prayer would be this, is our faith Do we humble ourselves before our Lord and that rest and peace that we get? Do we rest in his plan for us? Like, do you know, like you're saved. He's developed a plan for you. You need to jump on and start doing that. And it starts with the simple stuff at home. Read the book. Read the book. I love this saying. Driscoll's, uh, is it Driscoll that says it? You want to hear from God? Read the Bible. If you wanna hear him speak to you out loud, read the Bible out loud. There you go, right? It makes perfect sense. You want your kids to audibly hear God speak to them? Read the book to them. Pray with your wife, pray with your kids, pray deliberately and love them like God would love them. Put yourself in a position that is subordinate and humble and loving. And respond to him that way. So that's my prayer for us today.